You are listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. Your main squeeze in nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe and click the bell icon on YouTube so you can get notified every Tuesday when we upload a new episode. You can also add us on Facebook and Instagram at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. Welcome to episode 35 of Good Night's Eat. We'll talk more about that. But before we do go into that, let's kind of go into our new nutrition in the news. So another fun obesity article, which we'll, <laughs> we'll attach in the show notes. But apparently there are different types of exercises to help ward off weight gain despite obesity genes. So for people who have that inherited gene, that increase their chances of becoming obese. There is hope for that, for them to keep off the weight. And there is a study that identified actually the types of exercise that seem effective at combating these genetic effects that contribute to obesity. So they found that regular jogging was the best type for managing obesity, but there are others as well, such as mountain climbing, walking, power walking, certain types of dancing. You can enjoy that Zumba (laughs) class. And long yoga practices also reduce the BMI in individuals that are predisposed to obesity. So also, unfortunately, well, actually more so surprisingly, cycling, stretching exercises, swimming, and dance, dance revolution, which I find that to be interesting. I know, so specific. (laughs) It, apparently, those do not counteract the genetic effects of obesity. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Overall, the study did suggest that when it comes to obesity, genetics are not destiny, and mm-hmm. the effects can be lessened by several types of just regular exercise, like going to the gym and walking on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. interesting article. Um, let us know what you think. I, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked about in previous episodes that uh, there are genes related to obesity, and there's definitely a section of the population that is predisposed to obesity, Mm -hmm. but those genes really only account for about 20 pounds. Um, After 20 pounds, you can't blame genetics anymore. Uh, so it's interesting that research is out to support, you know, mountain climbing, walking, power walking. If you are someone who is predisposed to diabetes, like it runs, I'm sorry, obesity, it runs in your family. Um, you know, try these exercises and, you know, commit to them and then see, see what happens versus something like power lifting or something that might not be the most beneficial if you're predisposed to obesity. So interesting study, but so, do what makes you happy. Well, you might have to put away that dance dance revolution. I don't think I'm Rat. prepared for that. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> I don't think I can part ways. Damn. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. So yeah, please let us know what you think about uh, that article. So now we're gonna dive into the main Uh, topic, which is basically how food affects your sleep or vice versa. So this this episode was inspired by an article in Today's Dietitian. We'll definitely have the full article in the show notes, so please read through that. But this is kind of going to be a summary of that and just 
what the findings were. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so according to the National Sleep Foundation, between 50 million and 70 million adults have a sleep disorder. That's a lot of people. Yeah. I'm probably somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and approximately 30% of adults uh, report short-term insomnia and approximately 10% have symptoms of chronic insomnia. So not being able to sleep. Uh, sleep improvement is a huge industry if you don't already know. And it's actually been estimated to be about $30 billion industry. So, you know, uh, supplements to help you sleep, beds to help you sleep, blankets to help you sleep, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, don't, forget, don't forget pat machines too. Don't yeah, just mm -hmm, just stuff like that to improve your sleep. Probably even like apps count in that category too. Um, so a huge industry about getting better sleep. But emerging research does suggest that there is a relationship between sleep and diet quality, suggesting that better diet would equal better sleep. Um, honestly, to me, that is common sense. But, but I can speak from experience too. Like when I eat good, I sleep better too. Um, when I don't eat good, there's probably some other lifestyle factors that go along with not eating good that in turn will affect sleep. But I can at least attest that, yeah, when I don't eat well for a couple of days, for whatever reason, my sleep is not very good at all. Right. I mean, you can already kind of see from just the fact that if you eat greasy food and then you try to go to sleep soon after that, not even soon, like even four hours later, mm -hmm. I get reflux. And mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be laying in bed like, holy shit, can I just right. sleep right now? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When I eat a lot of carbs, whether it's um, sugars or even just like pasta type carbs, okay. rice, I toss and turn throughout the whole night. And we'll talk about what the research says to support, but that's just my personal experience. Like if it's something sugary like dessert, oh man, I, I do not sleep well at all. But I've even noticed if it's like a high carb meal, like pasta or even pizza, something like that, right. I still don't sleep good. Mm. So with that being said, let's kind of go into the state of the current research right now. So most of what is known so far about the connection between sleep and diet do come from cross-sectional studies, which measure both sleep and diet at a single point in time. So this, this research actually suggests that diet is linked to both sleep duration and sleep quality, but it actually doesn't indicate whether sleep patterns actually impact dietary habits or vice versa. Mm -hmm. These cross-sectional studies can't be distinguished from the exact direction of the association between diet and sleep or determine whether causal even exists. So I would like to think of it more as a correlation, but it's, mm -hmm. so it's thought that the relationship between diet and sleep is reciprocal. So there is experimental data on sleep deprivation that make clear that sleep patterns definitely influence eating habits, such as by increasing energy intake. I mean, the more hours you're awake, the more likely you're gonna put more you need to eat. in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> if you're right. just awake longer, you need more food. Right. And this effect can be partly due to the fact that sleep deprivation does alter the levels of the circulating hormones related to appetite control. So it can increase the risk, increase the risk 
I mean, the ratio of ghrelin to leptin, and thus it's going to increase your overall appetite. Mm -hmm. So there is, uh, I mean, there is longitudinal and experimental data that show that diet impacts sleep, but it's not as common. Existing research does suggest that causality works in the in this direction as well, and that dietary patterns and intake of specific foods can help impact sleep health, like we, like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I basically, mean, like the study designs just need a little bit of work. Research is there, but it's just when you really get into the nitty gritty of how the study was designed and you know cross sectional versus experimental there can't be that true like cause and effect it's just this um causal link at this point Mm -hmm. so so now we'll jump into just the different macronutrients we'll start off with fat uh so dietary fat (laughs) so jumping into fat multiple cross-sectional studies have suggested that higher fat intake is linked to shorter sleep duration So a 2015 meta-analysis observed an association between shorter sleep duration and higher relative intake of saturated fat in particular, but the association was only evident in people who were under 65 years old, so not like the older population. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this link that they have found isn't totally consistent. Uh, A cross-sectional analysis of a subset of participants from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, so that's called the NHANES, uh, the 2007 to 2008 version, found that short sleepers, so people who sleep between five and six hours per night, had higher intake of total fat than normal sleepers, so like seven to eight hours. So that's interesting to, to me. Um, personally- I fit in that category. You fit in that category? I don't. If I eat higher fat, I sleep like a rock. I I I sleep great. It's the carbs that screw with my sleep. Hmm. Uh, But again, these are just our personal experiences. Right. So this research did uh, examine the relationship between fat intake and sleep duration, but other research actually looks at the quality of the sleep, so not just the duration. We know that both are important. So another random uh, randomized control trial also found that saturated fat intake was negatively, negatively impacted sleep quality. Uh, in the trial, there was 26 adults who were aged 30 to 45, and the participants consumed a controlled diet for four consecutive days. And then on the fifth day, they were able to like self-select their food. And greater intake of saturated fat on that final day where they got to pick kind of predicted a lower sleep quality on that last day. So they all had the same thing for four days. Last day, they could get whatever they want. Those that had higher saturated fat didn't have um, as good sleep. That's such a weird way to put together that study. Like four days, you got to do exactly what we tell you, but that they go nuts. Right. <laughs> like maybe that was part of the problem. Right. So that fifth day doesn't necessarily mean that it was their normal diet. They could have felt so restricted that they, yeah, went off the deep end and ate a ton. Ate like a whole pizza pie. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. 
But with that, let's lead into the effects of protein on sleep. So like that, protein intake can be linked to both sleep duration and sleep quality. So in the NHANES 2007-2008 version, very short sleep, so less than five hours per night, was associated with lower total protein intake. And both short and long sleep were linked to a slightly lower percentage of energy coming from protein compared to those that have normal amounts of sleep. So among young adult women, so another study, those who reported sleep duration of less than six hours had lower energy intake from protein and higher energy intake from carbs, so compared to those that get the normal amount of sleep. As far as, as far as the association between protein intake and sleep quality, there was another cross-sectional analysis, uh, a study of, for some reason, in Japan, so <laughs> bear with me, but they found that low protein intake, so less than 16% of the total energy came from protein, and it was linked to difficulty initiating sleep and just overall poor quality of sleep. So, however, high protein intake isn't necessarily desirable either. However, in the Japanese study, they did not exactly look at a protein intake over 19% of energy, so further research is needed. And I think the only reason why they're really looking at protein is likely due to that amino acid tryptophan, which is mm -hmm. a precursor to the sleep-regulating hormone melatonin. So, mm -hmm. fun fact. Mm -hmm. Turkey so, has a lot of tryptophan. <laughs> That's why you get the Thanksgiving. That's not why. I know. Just eat too much damn food. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that's like the whole myth that they're I know. I know. I know. So. Yeah. Uh, so the next macronutrient we're going to go into is carbohydrates. So the research between carbohydrate intake and sleep is conflicting as the past macronutrients have been as well. So several studies have found that low carbohydrate intake has been associated with insomnia, obstructive sleep apnea, and difficulty maintaining sleep. Uh, but in a cross-sectional study of middle-aged uh, Japanese women, they found a trend between poor sleep quality and increased carbohydrate consumption. So low carb is associated with insomnia, obstructive sleep apnea, and difficulty maintaining sleep, but increased carbohydrate consumption also <laughs> leads to poor sleep quality. So conflicting to say the least. Why are all these people Japanese? I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess the Japanese are studying this more than we are. But in this Japanese study, the high intake of like sweets and noodles was associated with the poor sleep and poor sleepers with the highest carbohydrate intake consumed more of these foods than good sleepers with high carbohydrate. So this is just kind of suggesting that it is particular types of food, not just all carbs. So food quality is something to keep in mind as well. So in regard to the connection between carbohydrate intake and sleep duration, some research has found an association between higher carbohydrate intake and shorter sleep duration in both younger and middle-aged adults. So by contrast, in Chinese adults, sleep duration less than 
seven hours was associated with a 1.8% carbohydrate intake compared with normal sleepers. So very slight results. Which over time can be very significant. Right, right, exactly. So multiple trials suggest that dietary patterns that are lower in carbohydrates result in reduced REM sleep, but increased low sleep wave. Um, I'm not too familiar with the sleep waves. Um, I've seen like on my Apple watch and things like the time it suggests you to spend in each REM, deep sleep, light mm -hmm. sleep, because all of the phases are important, but mm -hmm. I'm not too familiar on like the specifics of the sleep wave. So mm -hmm. yeah, but that's just what this study found. I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad. Can't make a comment on that. Um, carbohydrate intake is also affects um, how quickly you fall asleep. So basically higher carbs take will take longer to fall asleep. So as I mentioned in the beginning, the research behind carbohydrates and sleep is very, very mixed. Like I said earlier too, personally, I feel like I'm more on the end where if I eat a lot of carbs, I don't sleep well. But then also I remember when I was um, prepping for the competition I did, my carbs were super low and I had a really hard time falling asleep. And the only thing that really helped me fall asleep was by making sure that my last meal of the day was higher in fat mm -hmm. to help keep me fuller through the night. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't have a semi high fat meal, you know, like used the majority right. of my fats uh, for the day at night, I was up so often. So, hmm. mm -hmm. so with that being said, since we did talk about carbs, it only makes sense to talk about fiber. And there are a few studies that did look at this uh, association between fiber and sleep duration. So they do suggest that overall higher fiber intake is associated with normal sleep duration as opposed to long or short. Okay, so in the NHANES 2007 to 2008, normal sleepers had the highest fiber intake, whereas short and long sleepers, those who slept five to six hours or more than nine hours, both had lower fiber intake. And very short sleepers, those who sleep less than five hours per night, had the lowest fiber intake. I mean, hmm. common sense, but not really. Is this something important to point out? And then there were cross-sectional studies of other populations that have produced similar findings to this. So Columbia University actually found that higher fiber intake resulted in deeper, more restorative sleep, as well as increased just general sleep, slow wave sleep overall. So again, higher fiber intake, the better. Of course, if you go too high, you might feel super gassy and that might- You have other problems that might keep you up. So take, get your daily recommendation. So we talked about carbs, we talked about fiber, we're gonna talk about sugar now. So like everything else, the data is limited and conflicting. So in the NHANES 2005 through 2010, higher total sugar intake was associated with short sleep. So less than or equal to like six hours per night. And then consistent with this finding, NHANES 2007-2008 analysis found that short sleepers 
those who sleep about five to six hours per night had higher sugar intake than normal sleepers. Um, and very short sleepers, those with less than five hours per night, had lower sugar intake than normal sleepers. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that, you know, you want some but not too much type thing, like with fiber. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's what the research supports this study. So it, because of this confliction, it's really unclear what the impact is and what effect sugar does have on sleep duration. Uh, so Columbia University found that higher sugar intake negative, negatively affected sleep quality and that it was associated with more sleep arousals during the night. I definitely fall in that category. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like agree to that too. So if you do have that five to six hours and if you work in a place like I do, there's Skittles and stickers everywhere. And then sometimes if I don't get enough sleep, I might peruse that section. Right. But it's kind of like mean, what came first, the lack of sleep, which triggered more sugar consumption or vice versa. I know if I have enough sleep, um, I don't really like go for that. When I don't get good sleep, my like sugar cravings are much more right. intense. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's move on. So with that being said, let's kind of dive into, we talked about that, we talked about all that extra sugar and good stuff. Let's kind of dive into fruits and vegetables. So instead of a macronutrient, we're talking about specific food groups. So with fruits and vegetables, according to a couple of cross-sectional and prospective studies, this these actually kind of looked at specific adults in the United Kingdom, and they found that sleep duration is non-linearly associated with fruit and vegetable consumption and that participants that actually slept the recommended seven to nine hours per night have the highest intake of fruits and vegetables compared to those that sleep for shorter hours or even longer hours so that's important to take note of mm -hmm. and several cross-sectional studies of other populations likewise have found that shorter sleep duration is associated with lower consumption of fruits and or vegetables. So there were, in addition to these studies that we mentioned before, there were other several small short-term experimental studies that have focused on the beneficial effects of certain specific fruits, such as tart cherries. So this study was actually pretty interesting. So in healthy young adults, a supplement of tart cherry juice increased urinary melatonin concentration. So it also increased the total sleep time and the sleep efficiency compared to those that took the placebo, which I thought was very interesting. And then in addition to that, in adults with chronic insomnia, a similar supplement significantly reduced insomnia severity in wake up time after sleep onset. So the positive impact of cherries, if confirmed and they do more research on it, is likely related to the relatively high concentration of melatonin and the high antioxidant capacity. And also the actual tart cherry juice is actually known to help reduce circulating inflammatory markers and increase antioxidant capacity in athletes. 
So, which I thought this was interesting because I know cherries have a little bit more more melatonin, but so does pistachios. So, mm -hmm. but I feel like pistachios wouldn't do that good of a job just because they do have that higher fat co concentration. So that would be a study for another time. But. Right. So there are plenty of foods, like you mentioned, that do have melatonin, but kiwis actually have serotonin. So serotonin is thought to help promote sleep as well. So there was a four-week trial where participants consumed two kiwi fruits one hour before bed. And in the trial, it found that the group that had the kiwis, they fell asleep faster and they had more sleep and like better sleep too. So these are all really positive things that came about from the kiwi consumption. Uh, kiwi is also a really good source of folate and folate has been linked to insomnia and restless leg syndrome. So if folate, it's deficient. Yeah, right. So that's why like folate supplementation has been shown to alleviate these symptoms but larger trials are definitely needed to confirm or deny like what role kiwi has in this mm -hmm. so pretty interesting it's like not one of those things where you're like oh i've been sleeping bad i'm gonna have a kiwi like damn i just bought some peaches <laughs> better luck next time and that's <laughs> that's kind of the point here is like it's not gonna be a end-all be-all fix poor sleep right. Um, and if you don't like kiwis or tart cherries specifically, no one's forcing don't bother. You to yeah, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that leads us into like the future directions of where research is going to go. So the next move is to have less cross-sectional studies and actually focus on more longitudinal, so long duration, and experimental designs which will give researchers a better idea of how particular dietary habits affect sleep patterns over time. So another thing that researchers could begin to focus on is examine how the timing of consumption affects the impact of the specific food. For example, like if you eat a super sugary meal an hour before bed versus three hours before bed, what's the difference in effect? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, what are the takeaways for us dietitians in the nutrition field? So because research surrounding dietary impacts of sleep is still in the early stages, there are very few specific recommendations that we can actually make to our clients regarding what foods to eat for better sleep. So we're all gonna advocate, we're all gonna advocate for minimally processed foods, high quality fats, and low amounts of added sugar and salt obviously. And we're going to definitely focus on whole foods that do provide extra nutrients, fiber, and all the extra good stuff that we do need to have just a general overall healthy lifestyle, which as we talked about before, is linked to a better quality in sleep. Mm -hmm. So, And plus it'll help with the production of stress hormones and make sure they're not too high and make sure we have fewer peaks of hunger and less deprivation. So it's just overall basis of trying to stay away from processed foods in general. It's so, not for just sleep, for overall health. Right, right. And like we said, 
research is still in early, early stages, but this is what we've been advocating for years and what we'll continue to advocate for. So I will say in regards to sleep, there are other things that we can look at. So finally, dietitians, I mean, this is one of the few things that we can say about sleep is to be aware of stimulants and depressants in the diet. So what I mean by that is caffeine and alcohol. So we all know the circadian rhythm is intertwined with sleep and thus other things that we take into our body is going to affect the circadian rhythm, which is going to influence our sleep. So there was a wide array of studies that found that daily caffeine intake is strongly associated with sleep problems. Nothing so, new here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, if you could take coffee right before to go to sleep, what do you think is going to happen? Right. So it's going to affect your sleep duration, like how, like how soon you fall asleep and the actual quality of sleep that you do get. Similarly, alcohol consumption before sleep makes it easier to fall asleep quicker and but it's still going to affect the quality of sleep that you're going to get so mm -hmm. like we said it's kind of a toss-up right and again there, is, there isn't that much research on how early on you need to drink that coffee or that alcohol for it to not affect your sleep i think everyone's different um everyone has a different threshold for like caffeine metabolism and alcohol metabolism so i've heard four hours i've heard eight hours i've heard half an hour like could be anything right so the trick is do not drink like a six pack before you go to sleep and just or... like like pay attention to your body like mm -hmm. if you drink caffeine two hours before bed and you were restless obviously that wasn't enough time for you no. so don't make the same mistake again yeah so <laughs> i mean unless you're a student you're probably not gonna listen yeah to that, that happens sometimes that happened a lot in my day i think you had like caffeine toxicity or something one day yeah my hands were shaking a lot <laughs> More than it was bad. Well, have you no fear. You didn't look okay a couple times. Have no fear. I'm perfectly fine now. I made it this far. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. So with that being said, let's kind of close out the episode with a social media shout out. So we do want to th say thank you to at planting Zeta. So planting. Thank you. Yes. Planting Z-A-Y-N-A. Thank you so much for basically chiming in, looking, and just overall supporting us. We do yeah. appreciate that. And she is an aspiring RD. She's a full-time dietetic student, and she is a part-time blogger, so definitely check her out. And her Instagram has very picturesque photos, like better <laughs> than my pictures. Right. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for your support. And we're always keeping our eyes out for the next social media shout out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For our followers. So with that being said. Thanks for listening. Wait, I want to do a joke. Okay. Why did the banana go to the doctor? It's going to have something to do with peeling. Um, okay. I'm just What's the answer? Because it wasn't peeling well.
<laughs> okay, you ready? No. I have a joke for you. I dedicate this one to you. Dedicate what? What happens when you eat artichokes? I hate you. <laughs> what? It breaks their hearts. <laughs> Did you hear the joke about the cherry? No. It was pitiful. <laughs> Why did you sound like Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> oh, that was an attractive moment for me. <laughs> That's okay. My boyfriend will, stick, will still stick around. Okay. What do you call a man that can't stop eating cherries whole? A bottomless pit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Did you hear about the angry pancake? He just flipped. <laughs> I actually really like that one. That one's funny. I like that one too. Thanks for listening to the Keeping It Juicy podcast. Your main squeeze in nutrition. Don't forget to subscribe so you can join us every Tuesday for a brand new episode. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Keeping It Juicy Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Five stars, no less. On whatever platform you're listening to, or send us an email at keepingitjuicypodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have any topics you'd like for us to touch upon, shoot us an email. Until next time, don't do anything that I wouldn't do.